Has anyone here heard of OM hours? O-H-M hours? Yeah. I received an email a while back from an organization called OM Connect that said OM Connect is a free service that rewards you for saving energy when it matters most to the grid and the environment. Simply connect your utility account to OM Connect. You will then receive a notification about once per week to save energy for an hour. If you save energy, you receive cash back as well as opportunities to be entered into drawings for all sorts of wonderful prizes. Let me say, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. <laughs> the cash back that is promised accrues at, shall we say, a modest rate. I think we're up to about 10 bucks after months of participating. And we have long given up on winning any of the wonderful prizes they mention. So this is not an advertisement. I'm not trying to convince you all to sign up. Though we are promised cash rewards when we refer a friend. <laughs> but no, 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 no. I'm not trying to convince anyone to sign up. What I wanted to say is that long after we realized this was not a significant boon to our finances, and long after we realized that the great kilowatt savings giveaways were not coming our way, and long after we realized that this project was also marketing energy-saving devices for smart home appliances that we do not own, and long after we admitted to ourselves that while it felt good to be doing our part to save energy, our contribution during OM hours was not going a whole long way toward turning the tide of energy consumption. Long after we came to all of these realizations, we have faithfully continued to observe all the OM hours, entering them on the calendar as we receive notice, reminding one another during the day, and then sometime before 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. or whenever it starts, turning off all the lights and TVs, fans or space heaters, depending on the season, unplugging devices from strips and outlets, and preparing for an hour of total darkness within our home, our hours of OM, sometimes even chanting OM, <laughs> as we find that humorous. <laughs> And I have to say that there is a piece of it that feels something like spiritual practice to me. My guess is if, that if I had tried to set up this sort of program myself, it would most likely have been a failed project long ago. But there is something about receiving the notice from outside my own life. This is the OM hour. Prepare thyself. And listen, I know I am hardly roughing it. It's an hour or two a week. I have my charged devices close by, reading on my Kindle, um, using the flashlight on my phone. But there are those moments in the complete darkness and the silence of our living room when I wonder if I know where to find any candles in our small, easily navigable duplex when I consider all the things 
I take for granted every day. When I consider all that I depend upon without a thought. When I wonder what sort of real resilience I have within me. And what sort of resilience this time of crisis and transition might call for from me. From us. From humans. And especially from those humans who take the most for granted. Culturally, we have not done a terrific job of teaching resilience. I don't want to spend much time or energy critiquing consumer society except to say that it has been wildly successful at not only manufacturing desire but at making us believe that our wants are the same as our needs as exemplified by a common refrain voiced by many members of this society that begins like this. I just couldn't live without I just couldn't live without, chances are, you absolutely could live without the last thing you said that about. I just couldn't live without my morning coffee. I just couldn't live without GPS in my car. I just couldn't live without my Netflix subscription. I just couldn't live without my iPhone. Believe me, I understand the sentiments. I don't choose to live without these things. And I know that when people use this phrase, it is mostly in jest. But what does it do to our psyches to even entertain this notion in jest that we couldn't live without particular services or products? What are the things we truly couldn't live without? It's a pretty short list, right? Water, air, food. Love. And where do these all place on our everyday priorities list? What are we doing to preserve and conserve the things we truly couldn't live without? I just couldn't live without reinforces a sense of helplessness as we face pain or suffering or loss or simply change. It reinforces an idea that we need certain things, certain people, certain situations. We need things to be a certain way, not only to feel happy, but to even survive. And we wildly underestimate and thus sometimes fail to fully tap our resilience. Even when we say that about another person. I just couldn't live without her. I just couldn't live without him. It is meant to express deep love, gratitude for what that person brings to our lives. I get that. But I suspect, and many of you know through experience, that you can live without people you have loved deeply. And you have to know and indeed hope that people who love you will be able to live without you. We can't live without them, but we can. It will be sad. It will be painful. Life will never be the same. 
and we will survive. We suffer often not from a lack of resilience, but from the lack of belief in our own resilience. We are not taught to recognize and nurture it. From a macro perspective, with each new technological breakthrough, so many which introduce gratefully received conveniences and never before dreamed of capabilities, with each new convenience or breakthrough, we should ideally be educated not only on how to use it, but also how to live without it. Right? Because things fall apart, because systems break down, because services sometimes stop. The problem is not that this new thing makes that old task easier. The problem is, as the new thing becomes familiar and then sewn into the very fabric of our daily existence, we forget how to do the old task entirely. The new thing does not just make the old task seem harder, it makes it virtually impossible for many of us, including me. Because we have become understandably enamored by the wondrous things that the human mind can think of and that human effort can create, because these wonders quickly travel from novelty to necessity in our minds, we have lost touch with the empowering reality that we can live without them. We have lost touch with the fact that our resilience may prove to be more important than innovation to our lives and our very survival. The anniversary of the birth of Charles Darwin was celebrated earlier this week, and his absolutely foundational work in understanding life itself certainly underlined this truth. Survival of the fittest, yes, but the fittest is not simply the strongest or the most intelligent, but those with the greatest ability to adapt to a changing environment, the most resilient. This is undoubtedly the reason that the European Union chose to call their project Darwin, this project that is focused on improving responses to expected and unexpected crises affecting critical societal structures during natural disasters and man-made disasters by developing resilience management guidelines. I love that. We're going to have a workshop on that. For <laughs> Resilience management guidelines to facilitate faster, more effective, and highly adaptive responses to crises. The use of the term resilience has emerged during the last decades as an alternative concept for society to deal with many challenges. Susan read in the introduction to the guidelines. An alternative concept, it says. And I thought, an alternative concept to what? I am guessing an alternative to thinking we can fix everything or control everything or come up with an airtight crisis-free solution to everything. It's not going to happen. The only constant, the saying goes, is change. The only sure thing about every technological advancement and invention and creation is that it will carry unforeseen ramifications every time. Darwin, the guidelines continue, focuses on a proactive approach 
for dealing with disturbances and the realization that surprises are an inherent characteristic in these challenges. Surprises are an inherent characteristic of our lives, right? Expect the unexpected. On a global scale, the once unforeseen ramifications of our unchecked consumption of natural resources, they are now plainly visible to any who care to look, but are denied, dismissed, or disputed by too many with the power to make significant change. They are convinced we just can't live without. And believe me, I personally don't run toward opportunities to sacrifice comforts or conveniences. But I also know that we are more capable of resilience than we have been led to believe. That people, selfish as we can be, we have a strong desire to act for the good of all. That as communities, we can encourage and support one another in responding to the changes that will come in resisting those forces that capture us in harmful practices, in creating new patterns that nudge us closer to a harmonious relationship with the world at large, knowing that there will always be unforeseen ramifications. And that such a community provides a wellspring for nurturing the roots of resilience in each individual. Resilience arises for me, from community. We can't do this alone. I can't. I love getting those ohm hour reminders from out there somewhere, reminding me in the midst of my busy to and fro and my tendency to let things slide and my conflicted feelings about how much and never enough and what are the most important things for me to do and how do I go about doing them and my thoughts about what I want and my half-baked certainties about what I can't live without, reminding me for that hour, however I spend it, there is at least a moment or two in the darkness when I consider all the things I take for granted every day when I consider all that I depend upon without a thought, when I wonder what sort of real resilience I have and what sort of resilience this time of crisis and transition might call for and call forth from me, from us, from humans, and especially from those humans who take the most for granted. And I'm inspired by the many manifestations of resilience that I witness within this congregation. <coughs> Excuse me. And I am convinced that for each of us, there is an extremely limited number of honest endings to the sentence that begins with, I just can't live without. I can. We can. The fact is we are vulnerable beings subject to the winds of change. Our wants, our needs, our patterns of behavior, our pleasures, all that we rely on and turn to and work toward and all that we appreciate 
and like and love, all of that makes us vulnerable because things can change and things do change. And that doesn't mean I should stop wanting, though I vow to practice wanting what I have more often than having what I want. It doesn't mean I should stop relying on things or stop turning to others for help or support or stop working for justice and spreading compassion. I love the passage from the second reading that offers resistance and recovery as measurable components of resilience. Resistance and recovery. Coming to accept the things I cannot change, but courageously working to change the things I can and that need changing. It doesn't mean I should stop appreciating what is present to me in this moment or stop liking or stop loving or pretend that I can make myself invulnerable because to be invulnerable would mean that I had stopped living and where would the victory be in that? But recognizing my vulnerability, I must also recognize and celebrate and nurture and practice my innate powers of resilience. I enjoy and appreciate and savor and am thankful for life with. And I know I can live without the trouble and sorrow and challenges and unforeseen ramifications and unexpected complications and changes wait at every turn, I know I can go on. 